Hey everyone, and thanks for tuning in to this week's message. My name's Aaron, and I'm on the staff team here at Eastlake. Everything we do around here depends on the generous donations of our local and online community. People just like you, who tune into these messages and see great benefit from living that idea that life is a gift and love is the point. So if you love what Eastlake is up to, we'd encourage you to contribute by going to eastlakecc.com. With that, let's jump into this week's message. Today, we hear from Bethel Lee as she continues our series, Everyday Spiritual Practices. Please check the description for links to our quarterly Spotify playlist and guided meditation. Hi, (laughs) it's Bethel, and do I look tired? I feel tired. Um, I might look like the lighting, and I might sound a little bit different today because it's Friday the 13th in 2020, and 2020 did not disappoint. Once again, it offered up a nutso-butso day. So it's very late. It's almost not Friday anymore. Um, And I'm recording with my child and husband sleeping in the other room on the other side of this fake wall. So, um, so yeah, I'll try to, I'll try to have a normal voice. I just don't want to wake anybody up. I hope Friday the 13th wasn't so bad for all of you. Um, here we are. So, oh, I just did want to say though, something that I find very interesting is that I think there's a lot of type B people that are listening to this series. And I don't know if you've already guessed, but I'm a type A person. I'm the kind of person who reads the entire manual before I try to use the new gadget, hence why there is no Sony camera once again today. Um, But, why I say this is because I just looked at the stats uh, for this series because um, I was really expecting nobody to be watching or listening to these uh, sessions right now just because the world is crazy. Um, and I know a lot of people have a lot going on, but I just wanted to see if anyone has had time to listen to these. And uh, currently, as of today, um, the first three sh- sessions have been listened to 1,072 times, but the introduction to this series has only been listened to by 302 people. And I know that that's not an exact science because there's going to be overlap with the people who are listening to the sessions, but on each of the platforms where this series is being offered, so YouTube, Vimeo, and podcasts, within each of those platforms, uh, the number of um, views of the sessions, of each of the sessions far outweighs the number of views, uh, number of views of the introduction. And I don't know why, but I find that fascinating. And I want to know who you 302 people are who listened to the introduction because I think you're my people. And the type B people are my people too. I have to say that because you are obviously in the majority. Anyway, random, not factoid, but uh, just interesting thing that I noticed. All right, here we go. Session number four. 
seeking the spiritual practice of reframing. Okay, so I was just about to start the talk and oh, one more creature wants to make an appearance. So this is my little doggo, Chansey. Chance, look at the camera, say hi. Ooh, gotta cover your private parts. Um, so if you hear any weird noises or licking or shaking, that's Chance. All right, here you go. Oh, he doesn't want to leave. He always wants to be close by. Okay, buddy, let me let me find a spot for you. All right, back to the session. <laughs> the greatest spiritual teachers were and are all master reframers, Jesus included. He was constantly inviting his followers to take another look, an often upside down look at something they assumed they understood inside and out. When the disciples start dreaming of how great and powerful they will be in the kingdom of God, Jesus turns this kingdom on its head by drawing their gaze down to a small child and saying that the last will be first and the first will be last. To those who were a bit too excited about ushering in this new kingdom by force, Jesus says, oh no, you don't have to do that because the kingdom is already here. The kingdom is within. When the running theology of the day promised that the wealthy and healthy were the ones with God's favor, Jesus preaches, blessed are the poor. And when the disciples' worst fear comes true, the spirit of the resurrected Jesus tells them that he is going to be leaving them once and for all. Jesus insists to them that it's better this way. Reframing is for me the most powerful, most transformational spiritual practice. Because we humans are meaning-making machines. As I'm sure you've heard, all day long we are assuming, judging, and interpreting. It's just what our brains do to try to make sense of the world around us. Our minds are working so hard all the time to try and give us a sense of safety and security, something that we need in order to function. So this meaning-making process isn't something that we ever could or should try to stop doing altogether. It's not something that we should be fighting against because that would just be wasted energy. But if we don't interrupt the process, if we don't do regular maintenance and audit of the stories we're telling ourselves over and over again, if we don't take a second look with new eyes, a beginner mind, a childlike openness, which is what I think Jesus was referring to when he gestures to the kiddo and tells his followers, if you don't become like this one, you will never enter the kingdom of God. 
If we don't have the practice of seeking to see what we may have missed upon first glance, then we can become locked in and imprisoned by the stories and beliefs and conclusions that we've made up that 50 50 50-50 chance are not true. Reframing is an uncomfortable practice, I'm not going to lie, but it is a beautiful, life-enhancing practice as well to seek to be proven wrong by turning things upside down and giving everything a shake so that we can let go of all the unhelpful, stressful thoughts and beliefs that are causing incredible amounts of unnecessary suffering for ourselves and for the people in our lives. So there are a lot of different ways to practice reframing, but they're all different versions of the same thing. So I'm going to share with you a few different methods so that you can generally see how this works and then apply it in your life. And if you're new to this, I think one of the best ways to see how this process does its thing is to observe someone else going through it, if not yourself. So if you are able right now, I encourage you to watch this seven minute video where Dr. Gabor Mate, who developed a psychotherapeutic method called compassionate inquiry. Um, in this video, he, you get to see him walk Tim Ferriss through it, the entrepreneur Tim Ferriss through this process. And so if you're watching this on Vimeo, YouTube, or the podcast, there should be a link there. Um, but if not, you can just Google Dr. Gabor Mate on how to reframe a challenging moment and feel empowered. It's on the Tim Ferriss Show on YouTube. So go give that video a watch and come back. Okay, now if you are not able to watch that video on your own for some reason, I'll give you a rundown of what it entails. Basically what happens is that Gabor Mate asked Tim Ferriss to describe a recent incident when Tim got upset with someone. So Tim mentions how he hired someone to do a bunch of repairs in his house while he was away on a trip, but when he returned from the trip, he found that nothing was completed. Gabor then asked Tim what his reaction was and immediately Tim responds, anger. After some more prodding, Tim also recognizes that he was disappointed and Gabor helps Tim see that the feeling that girds the state of mind that is disappointment is sadness. And this is important. That process right there is important because a lot of us are quick to identify with the feeling of anger, but we avoid identifying ourselves or attaching ourselves or admitting that we feel 
sadness. But sadness is often right under the anger. So then, Gabor asked him, what were you sad about? And again, because sadness is something hard for a lot of us to connect with, I think Tim included, he has trouble coming up with an answer. So then Gabor asks, what does it mean that this person didn't fulfill their commitments to you? And this is when things drop, uh, when we get to the heart of the matter. Tim replies, it means they don't care about me, that they don't respect me. And Gabber says, and what kind of person doesn't get cared about or respected? Tim realizes that the answer is someone who doesn't deserve to be cared for or respected someone who is unworthy of respect and care. Then Gabor asks, are there any other reasons why this person may not have fulfilled their commitments that has nothing to do with a lack of care or respect for Tim Ferriss? Easily, Tim is able to rattle off a bunch of alternative, plausible reasons. And then Gabor asks, of all the possible reasons, which is the worst one for a person to tell themselves? And Tim replies, the one I immediately defaulted to. Then Gabor summarizes everything, saying, number one, we don't respond to what happens. We respond to our perception of what happens. As the Buddha said, it's with our minds that we create the world. Then Gabor says, number two, of all possible interpretations, we choose the worst one. And then number three, he says, we actually don't choose it. Our brains jump there automatically because this has happened before. Gabor then asks Tim, when was the first time that you felt that someone didn't respect you or care for you? And when he asks this question, you can see that Tim immediately has this memory of an incident from his past that just like flashes in his mind, but he doesn't want to talk about it in this public setting, which Gabor respects. Um, so then Gabor just finishes the teaching by saying that the point he was making with that next question is that this is what trauma is. This is how trauma works. We don't respond to the present moment. We respond to the past. And if you're someone who listens to Tim's podcast regularly, then you um, probably know that he actually shares what this trauma was from his childhood uh, for the very first time ever. Uh, it was recently, I believe it was the middle of September that he um, shares about it for the first time on his podcast. So then finally, Gabor says to Tim, what if you assumed for a moment that you are the most worthy most worthy of care, most worthy of respect person in the whole universe. 
imagine that you believe that and then some person doesn't fulfill their commitment to you. What happens? You don't get angry. You don't get sad because a person not fulfilling their commitment to you has nothing to do with you and your worth. So Gabor concludes that if you are triggered in this situation, that's because you are the one who believes deep down that you're not worthy of care and respect. And this is the beauty of reframing, he says. It's healing because in these moments, if you dig into them like this, you get to discover how powerful you really are when you truly recognize that the source of your well-being, the, the source of your state of mind lies within you and nobody else. So that's how compassionate inquiry works. And there's another method that's very similar to this called somatic therapy. And I'll give you an example of that, of how that works um, from my own personal experience. So this was, I think a couple years ago, I was sitting on the couch across from a counselor who specializes in somatic therapy. And at this time, there was a lot of stressful things going on in my life, which is why I was seeking the help of a counselor. And I was really hoping to talk about those big things. But after I'd sat down, she had asked me, oh, did anything upset you this past week? And so I said, yeah, there was something where I got upset. And so she asked me to describe what it was. And um, even though I thought it was stupid, I, I responded and I said um, that what had happened was that Dave had booked a massage for me, an RMT session. And so I go to the clinic, but I get there and the door is locked and nobody's there. And so I'm waiting out in the cold um, and then the time just keeps passing by, you know, uh, past the time of the start time and five minutes passed and da, da, da. And as the time is rolling on and nobody's coming and the door is locked, I start to feel panicked and I just feel anxiety rising in me and I'm texting Dave trying to figure out what's going on and da 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 and uh, realized that what happened was that this RMT works both from a clinic and from her home and he had booked me at her home but in the calendar he had put down the clinic. So so it's so stupid right I missed a massage like was the big deal right but so I wanted to move on and I was kind of um annoyed I, I, I'm not annoyed but I was just uh um, I had wished I hadn't brought it up because I didn't really want to talk about it anymore. Um, but the counselor just like zoned right into it and she asked me, you know, what I was feeling. And I said I was feeling angry. And she asked me where that feeling was. And so I, as I was reliving it, I said it was in my heart. It felt like my heart was burning. And <laughs> she asked me, what does that feel like? And I was like, like a fire, like a fire has been lit. And no matter what I try to do after that point with my mind to reason it away, it doesn't work. I cannot extinguish the fire. It is a flaming. And as a consequence, I start to be mean to Dave. 
um, even though in my head, the reasonable part of my head already knows this is not a big deal, already can see that this is a pesky, tiny, tiny little problem that is easily fixable. Um, already knows that everything is fine, but it doesn't matter. At this point, my emotions are going crazy. So even though I don't want, I don't want to talk about this anymore, she really slows me down even more. And she asks me to feel the anger again. And she asks me why, just keeps asking me why, like, why was I angry? I respond because Dave sent me to the wrong place. Why did he send you to the wrong place? Because he's disorganized. And then I realized, no, what I was really thinking was um, because he doesn't care. That's why I was mad. Because if he cared enough, if he prioritized me enough, then he would have sent me to the right place. And then my mind starts flooding with all these, um, like when I was reliving the memory, my mind was flooding at that point uh, when it was happening to all these um, ways that he doesn't prioritize me. And then she, like in Gabor's uh, example with Tim, she gets me to the thing, you know, under the thing, under the anger, which was for me, fear. I, I was feeling scared. And she's, why? Because bad things happen. Why? Because life is chaos. Why? Because there's nothing holding it all together. Why? Because there is no God. And that was my rock bottom. Like that was the thing that the somatic therapy brought me down to, this ridiculous little event where I got upset by being sent to the wrong place. When I actually followed the trigger line all the way down on what it was shaking underneath, it went all the way down to my fear that God does not exist. And I was blown away by this realization how one bad thing in my day really was shaking all the way down to this fear deep down within me that there's no God, that there's no one watching out for me, that there's no purpose, that everything is meaningless. And it was a big deal for me to realize this because up until this point in my life, really, whenever things like this happened, um, whenever I'd have an emotional freak out, instead of exploring what was at the bottom of it, I all I would do is just judge myself for freaking out. I would uh, kind of hate myself for being weak and overly emotional in that moment. That's all I would chalk it up as. I'd just criticize myself and then move on. And then it would happen again, you know, someday. And then again, I'd just criticize myself for being weak and emotional and then move on. But this time by really digging down even though that might sound like a stretch, it really was all connected for me. And seeing how, you know, this one little thing that happened in my day hit this core fear of mine that there's no rhyme or reason to life. I realized, oh, well, no wonder I freaked out like that because that's a big deal. That's a big fear of mine. And that revelation gave me so much compassion for myself that I just did not have before. 
um, that I could not have before when the only story I was believing was that if I'm overly emotional, that's because I'm weak. So from that point on, I, I started being able to see these patterns, to, to, to dig down and see the connections of if I would freak out over something that seemed so small and I really dug down, I was like, oh, it's connected to something a lot bigger. And with that new understanding that I would gain every time I did that, I, one, stopped feeling shame in those moments because there really was legitimately something there that was causing these emotions. So I stopped feeling shame. Um, I stopped taking my anger then out on other people because it wasn't their fault. It was something happening within me. And then by working on those root issues, um, in general, now I don't have as many of those little emotional freakouts. Not never, but the quantity has significantly decreased. And when they do happen now, the, the whole process is much quicker. Like within minutes of having an emotional blah, I can put on the brakes, start unwinding the story before it starts going out of control, and then go down to the root to find the thing under the thing. everyone, excuse the interruption for a quick minute. Uh, my name is Kristen. I'm one of the team members here at Eastlake, and we're so glad that you're joining us today on the podcast. Um, it's been so encouraging for us to hear stories from people all over the country and the world who are listening to these messages and resonating with this idea that we um, just keep saying over and over again, which is life is a gift and love is the point, and that we are all committed to being a beneficial presence in our own community. So thanks for joining us. I hope that that's resonating with you. Um, it's just really fun for us. So wanted to also say thank you to those of you who contribute this place. All of these things that we do are happening because of people who make consistent, um, even just small consistent gifts. Um, it helps us plan. It helps us know that there are really people behind us who want this thing to continue. So thank you to those of you who do that. If you haven't had a chance to give yet, I would encourage you to maybe think about doing that if you find this beneficial in your own life. Um, to make a contribution, it's really easy. You can go to eastlakecc.com and there's a donate button there with all the info. So thanks so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the message. So with those two examples that are similar, a little bit different, but very similar, I'd say, um, I want you to try some of this out yourself now with our journaling time. So I invite you to go get your journal and something to write with and, and come on back. Today we are going to do a practice of journaling with compassionate curiosity. And as you do this, I really want you to take your time. Really relive the memories that are prompted and don't judge the things that upset you. Don't judge them as being superficial or not important. Sometimes I actually think that it works better to use these seemingly stupid frustrations and to dig deeper into those to see what's really at the root there. So 
Here is the first prompt. The last time I felt disappointed was when? And describe in detail what happened, even if you think you acted irrationally. The last time I felt disappointed was when? Put me on pause as much as you need. I felt angry with blank because... And I put angry in parentheses because maybe your emotion was something else, but it's most likely anger, but I felt something with blank because under the anger was sadness, again in parentheses in case yours is something different, under the anger was sadness, I was sad because what they did means that. Another way that I feel or have felt this sadness in my life is, or the first time that you felt this sadness in your life is. The story I have been telling myself about this situation is that a different way of understanding what happened is the new story that I want to tell myself about this situation is and finally the new belief I want to have about myself is and when you are ready, here are the questions for your circle work, for your group or partnered discussions. Number one, when you look back on your life, what have you not forgiven yourself for yet? Number two, who, what person or group of people do you judge the most and why? And then the second part to that, how are you exactly like them? And number three, what's something in your life that annoys you on a regular basis? And the second part to that, what are three ways that it makes your life better? What are three ways that this thing that annoys you makes your life better? Okay, and now I'm going to close by describing three different ways that you can continue to practice reframing in your daily life. And these three ways, I'm, they're different time commitments. And so I'm going to go from biggest time commitment to the smallest. So number one, the work. The most surgical tool for reframing that I have experienced that enables you in really amazing ways to be released from stressful thoughts and fears is the work 
by Byron Katie. I am telling you, it is life-changing. And I'm naturally skeptical of any leader in any field, especially within like the, you know, kind of like healing, self-help, spiritual world. But Dave and I got to um, learn from her uh, at one of her retreats last October. And as far as I'm concerned, she is the real deal. <laughs> um, so sometimes I find that the work can be really hard. It's, it's very simple, but it can be hard to get at first if you're brand new to it. And so I, I, I really do think the best way, the, the first best exposure to it is watching her do it with another person, <laughs> do it, watching her do the work, lead, you know, guides another person in the work. And one of my favorite videos of this is on YouTube. And if you just look up Byron Katie, I'll, again, we'll put the link on, but otherwise you can um, look up Byron Katie and uh, type in, I'm afraid of Trump. And it, this video was uploaded on, I think it happened on January 20th, 2017. So the day that Trump was inaugurated. And unfortunately, uh, the fears listed there are probably fears that people still have today, four years later. But um, but it's just it's just a really whichever side of the bench you're on, it's still I think really helpful to watch. And I just I just find that this video is a great example of how the work works. So please watch that. Um, but but just to give you a um, really quick intro to it, uh, the work really just comes down to four questions and a turnaround. And so what you do is you take a stressful thought, a stressful belief that you have, and you ask, number one, is it true? Number two, can you absolutely know that it's true? Number three, how do you react? What happens when you believe that thought? Number four, who would you be without that thought? And then comes the turnaround. And the turnaround is when you flip your belief on its head by trying to think of as many opposites of it as you can. So if your belief, your stressful thought is my mother never listens to me, then you would just, you know, try out, say aloud the opposite, I never listen to my mother. And then you just, just, just look at that, like, is that true? Is it true that when I've been thinking that my mother doesn't listen to me, I actually don't listen to her? Or another opposite could be, um, if it was, my, my mother never listens to me, I never listen to me. Oh, is that true? Is that the problem? Am I not listening to my own needs and, you know, needing somebody else to be giving me what I want? Anyway, so this is a little bit how it works, but again, watch the video, see how it works in its whole breadth. You know, again, it is a simple process, but I refer to this one as a big time commitment because it, you can't just race through the work. It's, um, as I said, meditative. You have to take your time. You have to slow down. 
and the speed really matters. Like you can't just come up with the answers in a rushed way. It's more of a massage, you know, you really have to take your time with it in order to like release those stressful thought knots. And one way to think about it is if you imagine a carousel at a playground and say that it's just like spinning really hard in one direction, you can't just stop it. You have to wait and watch as it slowly, finally, gradually slows down. And then when it gets slow enough, then you can kind of start tapping it, right? To bring it to a little bit of a slower pace. And then you finally stop it. And then you can reverse and turn it in the other direction. That's how it feels, how the work feels. So um, it does, it does require time and attention, but it's worth it. And after watching the video, you can also just go to thework.com and everything is offered free, all the worksheets. They even have a free helpline where you can call and a volunteer will totally walk you through it uh, one by one. So please check that out when and if you have the time. Number two, second practice. Uh, this is a little bit less of a time commitment and I'm calling it the thing under the thing. So um, Dave and I do this with one another now. Uh, again, it's just kind of our little mini version of the work. And um, so I encourage you to try it out. If you have a spouse, partner, or friend, or somebody in your life who you see on a regular basis who is willing to do this with you, then here's how it works. Whenever one of you gets angry or frustrated, so let's say that your partner is frustrated. If they agree to this, then you place your hand, one of your hands on their heart and you guys just look at each other. Maybe you can hold their hand with the other hand and just ask them, hey, what's the thing under the thing? What's the fear under your frustration? For example, if someone at work was rude to you, are you afraid you're not being respected? Or if your child hit another child and you're angry, are you actually afraid? Like is your head zooming to the future and you're afraid that your child is going to become a bully? Or if you're really imaginative, a murderer, right? Like is that where your mind's going? If a stranger is rude to you, are you afraid you're not being valued and seen? So just take a moment to help each other move from the frustration to the fear, from the anger to the sadness before the frustration and anger spin out of control. So just having a little moment like that, you know, less of a time commitment, maybe takes five minutes, maybe 10 minutes. Um, if you want, and it's in your repertoire with you and your partner, or you or your friend, then you can move into the work together and you can ask them of their stressful thought, like, is it true? And then start going down the four questions and the turnaround. But even just that moment of stopping and helping somebody, having a, an accountability partner to help you realize that it's not about the anger, it's about the thing under the thing, just even that shift, even for a moment, I think is really helpful. So that's number two. 
and finally number three so this third practice i made up because as i've said the work requires a lot of time and even the thing under the thing you need like five to ten minutes and i realized that i need something that i can use right in the middle of a busy hectic day like if i'm taking my son to daycare and something goes awry i need something on the go that can help stop my mind from starting to spiral into the deep dark depths of despair like i need something i can use in the moment and this might not be true for all personalities but for me what i realized uh, was a reoccurring issue for me was that when something negative or agitating happened in my day um, or happened to me I, I i noticed that it would just get blown up in my mind bigger than it deserved to and i really wanted to know why like what was what was doing that and so um like why i was letting these little things take up so much more space in my psyche and my soul than they should and i realized for me that it was because in those moments i would almost like instinctually feel offended that this thing happened to me i'd like feel sorry for myself that's where my mind was going I would give thus one negative thing the power to ruin my entire day by starting to tell myself the woe is me story and that woe is me story can man that can just catapult you into a trajectory of unnecessary suffering that completely will outweigh any incident that triggered it so let me give you an example say that you're a parent and your child has been going through a tantrum phase uh, maybe for the past couple weeks so it's something that you've gotten used to uh, like interrupting your life so so then maybe in your mind you start measuring whether your family has a good day or a bad day depending on if the child has a tantrum well if you start doing that no matter what the day has been like before and no matter how great the day could be after um, if when your child has the tantrum you immediately think kind of like oh the day is ruined well then it is you know the incident itself the tantrum could have only lasted 10 minutes maybe 30 minutes but if you get offended that it's happened well then that could piss you off for the entire day right so one more example because i feel like this can be a little bit fuzzy i'm trying to be clear but one more example say that you're someone who generally feels like the world is not on your side right like you feel like the world's kind of against you but you wake up one morning and you're like you know what today's gonna be my day and everything is going great and fine and dandy until you get on the highway and some mother effer just cuts you off and then flips you off and then just like zooms off right that incident last could have just lasted 10 seconds but your offense 
at the incident of how dare they, and now the world's against me again, can boil your blood for the entire day. So for times like this, um, I, I invite you to try this little on-the-go reframing practice that can halt this kind of unnecessary spinning into suffering. So my little trick, what I do in these moments is as soon as the thing happens that I didn't want to happen, as soon as it happens, <laughs> I say aloud, ah, just as I planned. Because it stops in its tracks the torrent of stories that otherwise would just flood my mind. And when I do this initially, you know, obviously kind of fake thing of pretending like I wanted this terrible, annoying, agitating thing to have happened. But when I do that, when I say out loud, when I just try that out and when I pretend, I say, ah, just as I planned, right? Um, dropped a tray of food on the ground, ah, just as I planned. It, it's funny, but my mind starts immediately thinking of all the reasons why that could be true. Like, why indeed that is a good thing that that happened. Obviously, it's not, right? I know it's a little bit of playing games, but we have to play our games with our mind sometimes just to get it out of its ruts. So when we do that, when I do that, my mind just starts thinking, oh, maybe dot, dot, dot. And suddenly by seeing a positive spin to something that otherwise might have just been negative, it's not as heavy. I don't suffer past it. So, I know that it might sound weird, but give it a shot. Don't hate, participate. Uh, could make your life a whole lot easier. I have genuinely found all three of those very, very helpful. So I hope you will too. Thank you for joining me today. And as you go from here, may your curiosity be compassionate. May your compassion be a revelation and may your revelations inspire a more beautifully meaningful world. Thank you for joining us. To make a donation, head to eastlakecc.com slash donate.